I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts if you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. He was an activist before he was an entertainer. And before I ever learned how to dance a jig, I gave a damn about American politics. I gave a damn about the people of America. And I took to the streets and I advocated. Only weeks ago, he spoke out in Atlanta after the tragic murder of George Floyd. I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He is also a businessman and one half of the Grammy Award winning group Run the Jewels. Michael Render, aka Killer Mike, an activist, a husband, a father, and a businessman. He owns a chain of barbershops with his wife, Shay, called Swag. Shave, wash, and groom. Also, you may remember watching Michael's extraordinary documentary called Trigger Warning. Anything that doesn't help black people needs to be burned the fuck down now. If you have not tuned into that, you should see it. It has twists and turns. And it will keep you on the edge of your seat. He joked and said that he went hungry and he did not have the opportunity to smoke weed for three days. <laughs> oh, it is so wonderful to have you, Michael, join me today on Hello Somebody. Michael Render, the Thank one you. and only from the West Side, right? Did I get that right? Yep, I'm, I am from the West Side of Atlanta. The okay. people on the West Side always joke that my family's from Alabama, though, so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's even more West. <laughs> that, that is, but have they fully accepted? Yeah, oh, we are. We West Side. Okay. Half of the West Side is from Alabama. So. Half of the West. So you're talking about the Great Migration. Don't yeah, absolutely. On that, right? <laughs> well, everybody, everybody, Black, 90% of us, or maybe a little more, got some folks 
in the South, yeah, fifty-four percent of yeah. the of, of black population in this country live in the South, yeah. which should be a political stronghold. So we got about you know we got some organizing to do down south. Yeah, we got to work on that, and we know from history of slavery that over ninety percent of our people came from the South. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Why? And I don't know if I share with you my dad. My dad's family is from Gainesville. Yeah, you did. Georgia. So I you got did. a little, little street cred. Yeah, like, you got to come down, side. guys. Yeah, hey, man, listen, man. I <laughs> love Georgia. My grandfather was from Edenton, Georgia, and my grandmother was from, of course, from Alabama. So that's like people don't like people tend to look at the South as one big place, but it, there's subtle differences. Like in Georgia, they put sugar in their grits and cornbread. In Alabama, they don't, you know. So it's all kind of little. In Georgia, my grandfather ate yellow meat watermelon. In, in Alabama, just red meat for my grandmother. So Ooh, it's... it's there's a man about no yellow meat. You know oh, what I'm talking man. about? That that's right? a delicacy. That is... <laughs> that's like eating one of those those $1,000 steaks with gold flakes on it. You Come know, on, you, talk about uh, Shana gets some. She don't even want to share them with the family. Just crazy. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Share. Yeah. With me, but I can't say anybody else get it. Nobody else. Yeah. Well, the queen, the queen doesn't have to share. She doesn't want to, huh? Absolutely. So, Michael, uh, always known as or known as Killer Mike, part of the dynamic duo running the jewels. I know yeah. you're going to have a, a release. So in yeah. June, June 5th, yeah. I think. Yeah, we just announced Run the Jewels 4 will be released June 5th. It was supposed to be released back in April, and we were supposed to be doing two weeks of Coachella. But unfortunately, you know, the pandemic has happened, and it's just best that people stay inside and just see what the health officials are saying. So we're going to be touring next year, opening for Rage Against the Machine. Hopefully, we'll be playing Coachella whenever they reannounce for that. And until then, the album hopefully will give you some solace doing quarantine and you can just rock out at the crib until we get back out on the road. Come on now. Talk about that. Talk about rocking out. So two things you just mentioned that I want to go a little deeper into. One is rocking out. You had a fantastic birthday party on 420. Yeah. <laughs> and we were rocking out virtually. It was a beautiful thing when you, yeah. you know, oh, sister man. dived in there a little bit. Yeah. You talked up. It, you, you, it definitely was. I was honored to have That you. was all shame. And I was totally embarrassed to be so stoned <laughs> i was like you at one point i was singing to my wife and shaquille o'neal was calling and i was apparently i had gotten so into the libations in the moment i said man fuck Shaq, i'm singing to you and i'm singing um if i was your girlfriend my friend yes. yeah and i was out and, and then i was just like hold on Shaq's the homie and he is also Shaq. so get done with the song and call Shaq back and i did so he called me puff called kelly Rowland, who's friends with my wife and just i love her to death and a lot of people including yourself of prominence and much more important stuff to do call to wish me a happy birthday and i sincerely appreciate it Oh, it was a high honor and a shout out to Shay, the wife. Yeah. And I, so when you, you talked about, when you talk about COVID, you mentioned that you, you have done public service announcements for DeKalb yeah. County. That is the yeah. second highest rate, I think, of, of yeah. COVID related. De- DeKalb <laughs> County is a neighbor of Atlanta right next to it. So their CEO, essentially their mayor is um, Mike Thurman. And um, he's a friend of mine. He's someone I know and respect from politics in Georgia and in, in, um, in DeKalb, which was be a part of metropolitan Atlanta. He calls me, he says, Hey Mike, um, we're doing good with 
keeping older people, people who would be your parents' age and up, you know, 60 and up, um, in the house and, and, you know, the younger kids because schools are out there saying, and he said, but there's really this middle of the ground is to, it's the kids who would be listening to rap music and essentially are influenced by people who are in the hip hop culture. They're not quite getting the message. The governor, um, has opened the state back up and they kind of, they, they all congregated in this park, um, and just had a lot of fun. And you, and you got to understand that because people have been locked in. You want to see your friends, your loved ones. And the fun got so packed and so close that it looked like, you know, it looked like Freaknik. It just looked like Ooh. it was just, this is just too good. So yeah. he said, I, I just need help getting the messaging out. This is DeKalb County CEO Mike Thurman. Please think twice before leaving home. Don't believe me? Well, maybe you'll listen to my brother, Killer Mike. What's up? It's Killer Mike. But the real killer is COVID-19 and it's still out here. Apparently it's helping some, but I, I just want to thank, you know, Michael the Thurman. You know, a lot of politicians refuse to engage um, people who are in entertainment and that's to me that um, that show that trepidation oftentimes betrays your constituency because young people vote. And you ask them to be politically involved and to be socially engaged. But then the people who they most identify with, you don't engage when 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 you need them. And he has engaged me when there weren't times of crisis, um, when they made alterations to the jail to make it more fit to have people come in, not have to stay in, get involved in programs like GED. He brought me in as one of the people to walk through the program. Michael has kept me engaged and a lot of things that are going on in DeKalb County, and particularly Southwest DeKalb, where there's a high rate of black people. And I appreciate him for respectfully engaging me as a constituent and as, as someone who cares about it and not just as an entertainer, but he also helps use my, well, he helps me use my platform to amplify the messages we need for good. And he's a great example of politicians working with the people in his community for the betterment of them all. So I just want to salute him for that. And I thank him. That's beautiful. We need more activist mayors like that. And Michael, you are an entertainer plus. I mean, you are yeah. you care <laughs> I, about social justice. You have lived that. You navigate both beautifully. You yeah. are a bridge in that way. Why do you care so much? I mean, you could just only do your the entertainment part of yourself. We all are multi multifaceted. Yeah, my uh, wife she she reminds me, your job is singing and dancing. Don't forget that. Um but my my passion, you know, probably gotten from my grandparents. My grandfather was just fiercely about enjoying every liberty the Constitution promised him. You know, he was an, he was an old black man. He fished, he hunted, he, you know, he grew food. He, he made money independently. You know, his, his thing was just there's no better country, as, as bad as troublesome as it can be, for people who look like us. Yes. Um, due to systems that are not broken, that are long, that, that were long made before we're here, but they're going to be broken in our lifetime, I believe, and others after. He just believed that you should enjoy every liberty and that there was no better place to get your start. So I love and appreciate this country. And with that said, my grandmother was staunchly about civil rights and social rights. So she's had me engaged in political campaigns and just doing the right thing. Um, since a very young age and at about 14, 15, I just became an activist myself. And there's actually an article from when I was 17 years old organizing um, with another group of kids. I'm going to throw up at one point just because people a lot of times think you get rich and then you feel guilty. And then you just say, well, let me throw myself at any social activist thing. I'm sure some actors and entertainers come to it that way, but that's not how I came to it. I've been doing yes. the work. You know, I've been doing the work at this point, 30 years of my life. And, you know, I just because I got a good job and I enjoy singing and dancing does not absent me from the process of making sure that society works in a way that benefits 
um, you know, my community and the greater community. And my legacy uh, after singing and dancing and hopefully building successful businesses with my wife and doing cool things, I want my legacy be, to be one of always having been a compassionate capitalist, that always have been an entertainer and activist, and it always been as someone who did what's right for himself as an individual, his community, and the greater community. I feel like that's my duty. Hey, man, Mike, is there such thing as compassionate capitalism? You know, we're in a great debate in our society right now yeah, with all yeah. of the predatory type capitalism that's yeah. going on. I mean, the, the wealthiest men in this country, eight of them all white, I must put out there, even if they yeah. were black, I would be saying the same thing. But why 33 million people and counting are unemployed and don't have health care? Yeah, These absolutely. Men are making money hand over fist. People like yeah. Jeff Bezos, etc. I mean, well, is there a such thing as compassionate well, capitalism? Absolutely. What non-compassionate capitalism looks like is the um, the 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 politician from Georgia who dumped her stocks time she was briefed on what was going to happen with COVID and bought medical stock um, stocks. That's evil, you know. But that 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 doesn't borderline evil. That's evil because it shows that your ultimate motivation is money. Compassionate capitalism is something that I've seen a lot of companies out of Georgia, believe it or not. Now, whether you agree with these companies' overall philosophy, I've seen companies like Chick-fil-A be better for my community in terms of the programs around education and they fund it. Pro, um, capitalism like the Waffle House. I've seen the Waffle House in the midst of this pandemic when it's been hard for people to get the basic stables, whether it be meat or ketchup or mustard, not only have their stores where you can order in and out, but at their door now you can just go buy some of the things that you usually would have to go to a grocer. For a company to pivot that way shows that the leadership or the inception of that company is a way that's, that's morally grounded in a way that some companies aren't. Now, for, for the swag shop, even though we have not been able to open as a barber shop because we don't want to expose our barbers or expose our customers potentially to COVID, what we've been able to do is take our space and help feed the homeless downtown. We've been able to go out remotely and help and just as a staff. And we've been able to make sure um, our barbers have the ability to do house calls in terms of connecting them with customers. But compassionate capitalism is something or an idea that my wife and I have that I'm not going to be in a community making money and taking that money and not putting anything back in that community. So we're constantly engaged with ground level um, 501c3s to see how we can take not only a portion of our profits, but draw other monies to them. Next Level Boys Academy, which is an academy um, down in Atlanta that helps get young men in particular um, off some, you know, young men facing 20, 30, 40 year sentences. They get an yes. opportunity to enter this program and avoid that time of jail time. And to the point where we had an issue with the restaurant, we fixed that issue with the restaurant. We got that restaurant to donate um, $10,000 to that Boys Academy. And in addition to that, the young man came out of the kitchen of the restaurant who was working there and working his way up the chain. Hopefully the management says, I'm a product of this. I didn't even know y'all were coming today, but this, this program turned my life around. If I, as a capitalist, did not have the compassion that my grandmother instilled in me to understand that making money is simply not enough, you have to reciprocate to the community that funds you, I wouldn't have been in a position to do that. So I have to be in a position to make money to provide goods and services that people want to buy in order to then use compassion to make sure that I'm funding things like um, we do haircuts for the homeless in partnership with um, Hope Through Soap, with people who help um, people who may be temporarily or permanently homeless to get them in, in transition and to look 
lot of times transforming the way people look. Yes. Um, kids who are going to school, my wife and I did shoes last year. We got Nike and, and those who buy Nike to donate over um, over 100 pair. You know, so our thing is we always want to be engaged in the community, expressing compassion. You're a philanthropist, too. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. If you had to describe yourself, I mean, you are an activist, a social justice warrior of sorts first and an entertainer second. I mean, I I first met you on the battlefield, so to speak. Yeah. (laughs) Supporting a candidate that you and I both supported. I mean, that's how we met. And it was politics that brought us together. And I'm I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. As am I, man. As if you do, you do the work, you do good work, you meet good people and hopefully, you know, those relationships endure and go on. You know, my, um, you know, it's easy to support political candidates every two to four years. Um, it's not as easy to find people who are truly, who are truly special and meant to progress us as, as a community. And you are that you are one of the main reasons I was with that campaign. You will be you will forever be um, a part of the people who who made me believe that that policy is possible. And um, I revere you as a fearless leader, much like Shirley Chisholm was, you know, before you. And um, she wasn't she was actually an idol of um, my my mentor and dear friend. Rest in peace, Alice Johnson, who's a former um, 
former director of the Atlanta Foods Commission on Children and Youth, which was um, an organization co-created by Andrew Young's late wife, Jean Childs Young. So I, um, I'm very, I, I'm one and two degrees away removed from the people who actually did the civil rights movement. So, you know, when, and I say that just to qualify to the audience, when I make a Shirley Chisholm comparison um, with Nina, it is an absolute factual solid fact based on her work, not her words. There are a lot of eloquent speakers that are, that are of the same race we are or of the same ethnic background and their eloquence, well, they can align themselves in any way. They could be Ida B. Wells, one speech. They could be Sojourner Truth, another speech. That is not the same as pushing policy and progressing the public in a way that Shirley or Ida um, or Sojourner did. And you do those things. Part of my staying with that campaign and staying with you after the campaign has been to make sure that you receive national voice, whether that's the Breakfast Club or CNN or wherever. We're there to support you because... I believe, you know, I like to just sing and dance. I would rather not have to do some of the other stuff. So I want the people who are qualified to do it, you being one of those people to be doing it so I can sing and dance and smoke recreational marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Michael. I mean, you have been such a champion for causes, uh, great and small, and you've been one of my biggest champions for sure. I'm thinking back to a photograph we just took Earlier this year, we were at a museum in North Carolina, if yeah. memory serves, and we were in front of the one and only Fannie Lou Hamer. And I wasn't even thinking about taking oh, a photograph man. at that time. Well, but you had to do You that. asked Jennifer, you said, get this You got to do that, it man. Was, that, it was iconic. And I, that, I, I look at that photo often, and it reminds me to keep going and always be sick and tired, never relent, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we have so much work to do. So I just love you and Shay. And then uh, I want to shout out Charlemagne. The guy yeah, Charlemagne is my friend, absolutely, wow. man. Lenard, that's my man. Lenard, yes. Yeah, man, from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. I mean, that, that brother is one of the most, I tell him all the time, he's a damn rather of our time. He's, he gets called a radio host and personality, but that man is a journalist. He yes, investigates, he, he discerns, and he helps give voice to people um, to tell the truth, not their truth. You know, we're in the age of my truth. Uh, their truth. No, the truth. Yeah, he's a, he's about people coming on telling the truth. And, the uh, truth. And I and I and I love and respect he. And there are a few people that are doing that work. Tamika Mallory, Tesla Figaro, Ti yes. has jumped in full, just both feet in. I'm like, hold on, you a superstar? He's like, no, sir. I'm a black man. We got to do this. And I come on, um, you and Ti Bankhead. You want to? Yes, but I, I, you had you were quoted <laughs> as saying when your story is written, when it was when it is told, Bankhead will be a character, as I recall, absolutely in that story. And you absolutely. and Ti, you get you've given food away to families yes. who are suffering yes. during COVID nineteen. Yes. We know that black yes. people are dying at four times the rate of our white yes. sisters and brothers. Yes. Black men, especially. Yeah. I'm dying at higher rates, but as a black community, we do this together. You know, I, I hate sometimes when we get into, is it a woman thing? Is it a man thing? I don't necessarily think the black community can afford to separate ourselves like that. Our liberation struggle has been together. There are yeah. particular things that we need to talk about that may impact. Yeah. Well, we can't people. afford, we can't afford to imitate other people's fights. That's right. Like, that's you know, to, to, you know, what, uh, before we get back to the bankhead thing, I just need people to know, I don't know how it works other places, but in the South, the black community is a matriarchal community. 
Yes. You know, if you ask your uncle or your dad or your granddad or your big dad, they're going to say, ask your grandma, ask your big mom, ask your mom. And decisions are made by consensus a lot of times. Families get in a room. So I just want to say in all the mix of which men and which women and, you know, he versus she, I'm not saying that those disparities don't exist within our community. I'm saying they yes. don't exist to the extent that we need to argue other people's fight for them. I have respected my mother and father equally and seen that more in my community than any other community. It is not a patriarchal community in the same way others are. There's much more shared power, even down to when we got our right to vote. Black Frederick Douglass said that women and black people, period, deserve the right to vote. They split allies by giving black men the right to vote. And right outside the church with black women with shotguns, making sure night riders didn't come. So we've been a team a long time. That's and let's, let's not let other people's political agendas split our team. We need one another. Black men have often viewed black women as fearless leaders. So that ain't a lot of ground to make up. We already used to leadership by our mamas, our grandmothers and community leaders. So that's not something we have to get a there's not something we have to get accustomed to. Come and, on. you know, I just want to congratulate us for that because we don't get that congratulations enough. You know, and black women, especially you guys are superheroes in our community. And it doesn't take just Mother's Day or International Women's Day for you to know that. Hopefully we letting you know in every mosque, temple or church on Friday, Sundays, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays because you deserve it. You know, you can't talk about the, 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 the FOI in the, in the nation is long without the MGT. You know, if you don't talk about those disciplined sisters, you can't talk about those disciplined boys they raise. You know, you can't, you can't talk about a great a great male preacher. You know, if you ain't talked about the women of that church has put in the work, whether it's ushering or making sure that people are organized. So there is no significant organization, no significant progress that has happened in our community without without black women. You don't have the SELC if you don't have the women of the SELC. You don't have the NAACP if you don't have black black women. The civil rights movement itself would not have moved. Exactly. You do not have it. So when you talk about Fannie Lou Hamer, you're talking about a leader. And I want people to Google these names and go look at it because, you know, she was a poor worker woman from Mississippi. Sharecropper. Yeah, that that transformed, that transformed not only her community, but the nation. You know, they tried to, they, they say when she did her testimony, they, they threw up a White House briefing or something when she was Yeah, talking. they did. President Johnson was so upset they couldn't yeah. stop her. Oh, you can't man. stop a black, black you can't, woman. You can't, you can't. You can't. Yeah, they tried to stop a sister. You yeah, can't. They you, did it. And you know her her courage, Michael, to even in the in the sixties, to to form coalition with our poor white sisters and brothers Absolutely. in Mississippi Absolutely. to say the, the 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 freedom the, the democratic the Mississippi Democratic Freedom Party they defied yeah. the Democratic Party by Absolutely. forming an alliance based on what they had in common, and it was. Be poverty. It was being yep. poor. It was being stepped on. Disregard. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. We have the same that. masters, man. We we have the the same masters, and and when the poor and oppressed realize that, that's the day the world changes. We have Amen. the exact same masters, and they are great. Um, I think I've got to get the quote. We got to find it. But Frederick Douglass says, "Something is of of no sex. Something else is of no color." Um, so he essentially was saying that the abolitionist movement and the, and the womanist or feminist movement at the time both deserve equal rights under the U.S. Constitution at the same time. Well, the United States took 100 years to catch up to what he said in 1865, took them to 1965 to catch up. But what we don't understand is when that didn't happen at the same time, 
it fractured an alliance that was there. And we cannot continue to allow this stuff to happen. Fannie Lou Hamer was a visionary in partnering with poor white people because she understood even before some of them did that we got the same master. So if you was a poor, what they would call a redneck or a cracker or a hillbilly in Mississippi, you didn't even understand that you were being paid significantly less than, say, a white person in Pennsylvania or Illinois simply because of where you were and companies exploiting you. And the only solace you have is to say, well, I'm better than a nigger. And if that's yes. all the solace it took, then that means you were duped, black people were duped, and everybody had been duped and stayed in this position. That woman broke out and she literally said, you know, if I fall or if I die, I'm going to die going forward. And forward. That, boy, that, feet. That's come it. on, man. That's, that's just, yeah. It's just chill through my spine now. But my mentor, Alice, was a white woman from okay. northern Chicago, my friend. And she's yeah. the person that introduced me to so many of the great women. You know, um, whether it was Mrs. Cleaver, whether it was Fannie Lou Hamer, Shirley Chisholm, to, she's the one who let me to, to, that let me. You know, you know, women were involved, but she named and showed the characters. These are the ones that she started my journey to understanding how much of the civil rights movement and the and the, and the human movement has been progressed by us. So I appreciate my friend and remember her. She's gone, and I appreciate you for being here. And that's one reason I so fiercely will defend and back you and support you always. Thank you, Michael. And you are so blessed just to have been raised in the South in that way because the deep roots, you know, I think it was um, Michael, it was either my brother, my Minister Malcolm, who said you would know the tree. Well, no, I'm quoting scripture. Malcolm X, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, or James Baldwin did, but in scripture, you would know the tree by the fruit that it bears. Absolutely. Your absolutely, roots. Absolutely. Um, that Frederick Douglass that you were talking about, you know, what's the quote? Frederick Douglass, you know, was talking to President Lincoln, trying to ha get women suffrage. He said, Absolutely. "Right is of no sex. Truth is of no There's color. No color. Come on, man. is the father of us all. Come on, we are man. all brethren." Eighteen forty-seven. Eighteen forty-six. So think about that. That's one hundred and twenty years before the United States called up. And now, what's amazing about that is, yeah, when you say, "Well, what does it matter? What did women's suffrage and abolition have to do with one another?" When you look at when you look at the, 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 the Reconstruction period, when you look at black men getting the right to vote, black people as a community moving up, black women, you know, being ornery enough to like people at Geechee Gullah Islands defending that right to vote at, with gun. You know, yes. Ida B. Wells said a Winchester deserved a place of high honor in every black man. Yes, so we're seeing all these issues still continue. But the thing was, the Daughters of the Confederacy was born not, not, not long after that. So the same women who were wanted women's suffrage, who wanted the ability to vote for land ownership, that type of stuff, were fighting right next to abolition. Next yes. thing you know, black men get a right to vote before you, and then they start to stoke the racism. Well, yeah. niggas are getting a right to vote, and you're right. a white woman. You don't even got the right to vote. You, can, you could own niggas 20 years ago. Then you get this separation that the daughters of the Confederacy pop up. So the same people who were allied, not, not, I ain't saying you're friends. I'm not saying you're besties. I'm not saying that you guys are going to be together forever. But you had a common political goal. Because they fractured that and gave a section the right and not another section, that splinter happens. And now you have 100 years of chaos, Jim Crow laws, um, feminist Black movement Crow. versus civil rights movement. And we, and we all don't understand yet we have the same master. If we would have followed, if Lincoln would have followed Douglas's advice in Come 1846, on. this country would be two years ahead of where we are already. That's so right. we, we have to start recognizing our past missteps so we don't do them again. When people heard me give a speech, um, and I talked about if you give me my rights before this group, I don't want it. 
right? A lot of people from our community got mad. Mike, you betrayed us. And I said to myself, you know this happened about 100 years ago. And, and 100 years ago, this happened. This group was born out of it, this group, and we've been in fight for 120 years, and the people who rule still rule. The planner right. class of the South still rule. All rich white men whose family's been rich two, 300 years still rule the South, right? That's right. No one's That's progressed. Right. Nobody's progressed to the point we could have as equals because we allowed ourselves to take a little here, take a little there. It's time that we end that in this country. And it's really time that everyone have the equity and equal opportunity. Now, what you do with your opportunity is on you. That's if you right. get the right to vote and you don't exercise and your community suffers, that is a part of your problem and problem. You're going to fix that. But it is my duty to make sure you have that right and share that right equally with me. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. That reminds me of something that you said. We were at a black college uh, in South Carolina at the time. And Bennett, yes. And you quoted Eugene Debs. So what you just are saying, I mean, what you are really articulating is a humanitarian vision. It doesn't disregard the unique suffering and challenges that Black people face under the weight of a system that has never seen us as equals. And even in the 21st century, we are still fighting for that. 
Absolutely. But you always have a way of layering, both telling the truth about that reality, but also talking about the reality of the pain and suffering of others. It doesn't have to gate the fact that Black people suffer in deeper ways to say, oh, yep. my brother over there or my sister over there is, is suffering yep. too. So Eugene Debs, while there is a lower class, I am in it. Remember you said this? Yeah, absolutely. While there is a criminal element, I am, I am of it. Of it, and absolutely. while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Come on. Ah, come on, man. That's, that's it. That's, that's a white man. <laughs> that yes. said that That's a white man that ran for president. That that while in federal prison in Atlanta, he was in the USP in Atlanta, the same prison we used to play. Yeah, he was in Atlanta. He and Marcus Garvey were both in the United States Penitentiary in Atlanta. And I say that just because, you know, um, I don't want us to lose hope and allyship. No war is won without allies. That's right. And politics is war without blood. It is the ability. It is the ability to move and navigate society without necessarily bloodshed. That's the lowest form of politics when you got to pick up a gun and go hit somebody over the head and take what they got or defend what you got. But before that, you have the ability to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize to fix things. And Debs did that. Debs attempted to. One of the highest honors I've ever had is not just winning the Grammy, not just winning some other awards, but was the Frederick Douglass Eugene Debs Socialist Democrat Award. Um, because the, the work that these two men in particular, one black, one white, you know, the, they, they benefited all Americans in a way that we don't acknowledge. They should be taught the kindergartners. That's right. You know, Lucy Parsons should be taught the kindergartners. And how would the world be different? If we did, you know, I went to Frederick Douglass High School in Atlanta in an all black neighborhood with all black kids. But Frederick Douglass was the most photographed person of the 19th century. Essentially, he was a Barack Obama image light in terms of image. Everybody had a picture of Frederick Douglass. Right. Why isn't Frederick Douglass taught in the middle of Montana? Why isn't there Frederick Douglass High School in the middle of Iowa where there's no black kids? Because we don't truly regard this man as an American hero. He's still sectioned off. And we do that. And it's nothing wrong with him being a black hero. But we have to start to recognize this man was an, an, an American hero. People get angry sometimes that look like me because I'll put up Eugene Debs on my accounts and praise him. Or I'll put up John Brown. But I need my children to understand that all white people ain't enemies and all white people ain't evil. But you have right. to start to separate what's an ally, what's a friend, what's a co-conspirator. Because when it go down, you got to know who's going to tell. And you got to know not to tell them. (laughs) And who's going to hang all the way to the end. Yeah, but I I try to make sure that I I am influenced by those who don't look like me as much as I am. But I'm first and foremost a black man. I understand the unique circumstance and issues with this system I deal under. It is a worldwide system. No system is perfect. It is not perfect. The UK. It is not perfect in Australia. It is not perfect in Italy or Greece or any other country I've been in that we are in. So I just want us to recognize that not only are we having issues and problems here, it is a worldwide system. Racism is 500 years old because race has been created 500 years ago. We have the ability through people like um, another white woman, Jane Elliott, and her, her, her blue eye, brown eye program. We have the ability Which to Which is a magnificent. Magnificent. Like, I, I want people to really go and Google Jane Elliott as Please well. Please do. I, I and she's still here. Her. 
Yeah, she is, she is absolutely still here. I know you and, and, and her have a very strong relationship. I first yep. encountered her in the early 90s. Yes. She came to my community college where I was a student. And one, I was so fascinated with this white woman telling the yes. truth, the whole the, truth, and nothing the but truth. the truth <laughs> about race. And she basically looked across the audience and she said, the people who are in this room are not the people who should be here. I need to talk to the people who are not in this room. Hello, somebody. Exactly. Hello, somebody. The blue eye, brown eye test, if people don't know, just really quickly. Go watch that. Yeah. Yeah. The assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She wants to figure out a way to explain to her students, all white class, about why Dr. King was murdered and what he was standing for. And she separated her students into two categories. Think you know how I would feel to be judged by the color of your skin? Yeah. I don't. Do you think you do? No, I don't think you'd know how that felt unless you had been through it, would you? (laughs) It might be interesting to judge people today by the color of their eyes. Since I'm the teacher and I have blue eyes, I think maybe the blue-eyed people should be on top the first day. And the yep. brown eyes. I don't want to give it all away. I'm just going to stop right there. So check it out. Her her daughter Mary, um, her daughter Mary calls me often. We talk a lot. I talk to Jay. Go on YouTube, Google Jane Elliott. For white people who say, Mike, what do we what can I do? Yes. And, and, and and because there's a sincere what can I do? The first thing you can do, like Jane told me, I was like, I want you to teach me. She said, I learned everything I know for black people. You need to talk to more older black people. So first of all, Man. befriend somebody who doesn't look like you. But before you go on that quest for friendship, go watch about an hour's worth of Jane Elliott speeches. Watch her talk. Let, well, not even talk, teach. Go, go to her yes. classroom and she's going to teach you and you're going to start to understand the, the triggers. Like a friend of mine said to me in front of her, you helped me realize and, 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 and get rid of some of the racism I held. Now, mind you, I've known this guy at this point five to seven years. He's one of my better friends. He's a white guy, but I had never seen him as racist or harboring any of that. But he had to have a long talk with himself and say, these are some things that I have to fix. And he did it without me as a black friend having to point it out and say, you're bad. He got a chance to deal with that and learn from someone who looked like him. So it's your job to be the ambassador for your tribe once you learn, white folk. I love you guys. But goddamn, we can't teach you everything. We got to deal with some issues. (laughs) So relationship. Yep. Get you some relationships with some people around you. Absolutely. Why did um, Miss Elliott, has she ever... Why did she do it? Because she caught a lot of flack from white parents. They wanted her yeah, to Iowa. Well, well, she yeah, she was in Iowa, and yeah. and and her father kept a good relationship with her, but her family did not. She suffered a lot, and she did it because the same reason that you told the truth about politicians and you get punished for it because it's the right thing to do. She did it for the same reason Fannie Lou Hamer defended the poor, be they black or white, because it's the right thing to do. She did it for the same reason that King sat down with a devout racist and Lyndon Baines Johnson and got the civil rights um, bill signed because it's the right thing to do. Did it for the same reason that Malcolm X, you know, attempted to take the United States to court. and He was assassinated by whom we don't know. It's subject to opinion. But, and then Fritz friend and Kenya Pinto was assassinated two weeks later because it's the right thing to do. For the same reason Dick Gregory did it to the day he died. It's the right thing to do. And at some point, we're just going to have to decide to do the right thing. And everybody who does the right thing does not get assassinated. It does not become a martyr. It does not die. But it is a it is a troubled field and troublesome life sometimes. But we signed up for it and we have to do it. And you have to stand in solidarity with those that do. 
And if we do not, then we have no reason to complain because by being silent while evil, while evil happens is to allow it to happen. Well, I am a witness to that, Michael, from experience. I can tell yes. you, do the right thing. Do the right thing. You know, yep, it's going to kick in your yeah, ass so sometimes, but do the right thing. Hello Somebody is a production of Large Media Network. Our logo and web design was created by Grayson Co. Special thanks to other members of the Hello Somebody team. Tiffany Hale, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, Julia Griffin, Angelo Greco, and Anna Mesa. Now, if you would like to support our production, please become a member on patreon.com forward slash hello somebody. And finally, come join us for more conversation on my social media channels at Nina Turner. Lord, let me start that again. Ah, I'm having a snaps lapse. Okay. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.